Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. My name is Stephen Detrolio Coakley. Today, we bring you a conversation between Sofia Magallanes and Naomi Palomares on Sofia's journey to a PhD in theology. For more information about today's talk, go to htiopenplaza.org. Hey y'all, this is Noemi Palomares, and I'm here with fellow Hebrew Bible scholar Sofia Magallanes. It's great to be here with you and get to know you a little better. You know, when I went off to college, I declared a business major because my big brother was a business major. Um, but everyone was like blonde and beautiful and from Dallas, Texas, and it was so intimidating. But I felt at home in my Bible classes because as a religious kid, you know, that's all you did. You read the Bible. And so I declared a Bible major freshman year, like second week of school, though I couldn't really transfer until second semester. Did you start off your college career as a Bible major? Um, No, I was actually a Christian ministries major. Okay. And it's because I was one of those kids who read their Bibles all the time and I (laughs) felt... A call to ministry, mm-hmm. but like in growing up in the church, if a woman felt a call to ministry, she was automatically perceived as being a missionary type. Mm-hmm. And I never really wanted to do missions, mm-hmm. so I just told everybody that I was going to do that <laughs> when I really just wanted to do theology. Wow. Um, but I was a Christian ministries major, and I declared my major as biblical studies mm-hmm. after my first Bible class. Wow. Your freshman year. My freshman year. And it was because um, I didn't have the Old Testament figured out. My Bible teacher helped deconstruct a lot of what Mm. the Sunday school answers that had been given to me (laughs) uh, during my childhood and my teenage years. Yeah. Um, So... You took this class, and you decided to change your major. What? How did your family take that? Well, they thought it was a waste of time. It was mm-hmm. like, why did you just, why did you go to college mm-hmm. um, if all you could do is study Bible at the institute? There was <laughs> an institute that my sisters had gone to. Mm-hmm. And so why did you have to go to a university? I went to Azusa Pacific University, and mm-hmm. I remember the first day of school, my dad told me um, that he was going to stop paying for my tuition as soon as oh. I got a boyfriend because why should he pay for me <laughs> to be a wife and mother? Oh, you know? Yeah, what? that was kind of That's catty. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And how did your church take it? They didn't really understand what I was doing. Mm. As soon as, I mean, as at least I was studying Bible. Mm. Yeah. But, so it was viewed as a good thing. Yeah. But odd. Yeah. I For years, I had hidden my desire for a PhD in theology. I remember. What do you mean hidden? Well, when I was 12, I went to my first youth convention, mm. and there was a testimony by this man named Isaac Canales, mm. and he was the director of the Hispanic Studies Program at Fuller Theological Seminary. Mm. He gave his testimony where, when he came to Christ, he was a gangbanger, and he oh, wow. ended up going back to school, getting his GED, and then mm. later on getting his MDiv at Princeton, mm. and then he got a PhD at Fuller Seminary. And so I remember being 12 and saying, whoa, they give PhDs in theology? (laughs) And then also 
if God can do that with him, mm. why why can't I go? Wow. So at 12, you knew what a PhD was? I thought I did. <laughs> I just said, hey, I get to think about God all day. Oh, okay. Well, that <laughs> but makes sense. We, well, we both know, you know, it takes a lot more than thinking about God all day to do a PhD. That's true. Wow. So at 12, you realized you wanted to get a PhD in this subject. That's crazy. Why didn't you go to college and pursue this if you already had that calling so young? Well, I had hoped throughout all of my college years that somehow I would have a change of heart and become a missionary. Mm -hmm. Because for me, a PhD and what I had wanted to do just felt so selfish. Hmm. Um, but it's taken a long time. It's uh, it's probably about 20 plus years since I've been in that <laughs> position. And it's been a long journey where God has really taught me that he can use me exactly the way I am. Hmm. Inclined to do research and inclined to study wow. with without going abroad. Mm -hmm. The things that I publish and can reach more people than I ever thought. Uh, so you're a wisdom lit scholar, in particular you work with the book of Job, and you're currently working on the commentary on Job. How does your Latina identity influence your work, or does it? When I first started doing research in Job in seminary and throughout my post-grad career, I was told by my supervisors, who were predominantly white men, mm -hmm. that I was to be as objective as possible mm -hmm. using the historical critical method. Right. And yeah, so I basically compartmentalized you my Latina identity. You had to in these spaces. Yeah, you do. Because somehow they think that they do exegesis in a vacuum, <laughs> you know. Right. So I thought, okay, I'm going to <laughs> try to be as objective as possible. And... <laughs> After I finished my PhD, uh, well, some years after, like five years after, I, it was being kept on the University of Edinburgh um, website through the library so people could have access, public access to my thesis. Right. And so about five years after that, three years ago, mm. I received a message from a woman who works with the World, World Council of Churches. Mm. And she's down in Brazil, and she's writing defenses, like theological, I guess, treaties of defending farmlands against mm. mining companies. So I did wow. my thesis on Job 28, mm. and I did it from my perspective as objectively as possible. <laughs> and here is this woman using... Wow. my work mm. to help defend farmlands from mining companies. That's awesome. And it's within the Latino context, mm -hmm. so Latin America. Mm -hmm. And, like, that showed me. It was confirmation that God mm. was going to use me exactly mm. the way I am, even where I'm positioned culturally. So in that way, m my Latina identity was informing mm -hmm. what I was highlighting in the text wow. without me knowing that. And it hasn't, been, it's only been three years that I've embraced mm. my Latina identity. 
Mm. And how has that taken shape within your commentary? After having interacted with other Latina scholars through the Hispanic Theological Initiative, mm. it's helped me to feel as if I have something to say mm. and that I don't have to truncate parts of myself. That I can. My, what makes my commentary so different is that I'm, in, I'm leaning in on what I had highlighted in my thesis, mm. um, which is proper compensation for workers mm. and proper use of the land. And these are issues that have emerged in my perspective because of my background and my dad, who was a migrant worker, wow. and, my, um, and my mother, who mm. has Navajo Indian heritage. That's awesome. So, you know, even though we are told not to bring in our identity, and even if we write things that may pass as objective to our white male professors, it seems like a, our identity still seeps through. Oh, yeah. You know, which is awesome. So it's like, take that, professors. <laughs> I'm actually curious about your work. Um, well, I'm actually, I'm actually still in the objective phase. Uh, as you know, I'm a doctoral student. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't gotten out of, um, haven't graduated yet, so I still have to play by their rules. Do you see anything about your Latin identity that has helped you highlight things in the text that have been neglected? Um, well, that's a good question. I think I have to... Well, I think I'll have to wait until someone reads my thesis in Brazil to see <laughs> what that is. Um, but no, I think that's a good question. I think you give me hope that I could discern what that is. Um, I can't see it right now being in the thick of historical critical scholarship uh, right now. But I'm I'm gonna say yes. Have faith that it, it is coming out in some way, though I cannot pinpoint it at this one particular second. Um, but maybe looking back, maybe in a few years, in retrospect, I'll see that I will, and then I'll be like, oh, this is exactly what happened to Sophia. You well, know? just ha having the conversations with you about your own work mm -hmm. uh, makes me very hopeful because I. Um, just how much you, how much passion you have for mm -hmm. the subject, as mm -hmm. well as you do have some good insights mm -hmm. into how words are being used within, mm. uh, you know, their metaphysical, their ancient <laughs> metaphysical context. Yeah, and you know, like, what's to say that what I'm doing right now isn't a Latina, you know, hermeneutic? Because I'm coming in with all my cultural context, right? With my identity as a fronteriza, like one who lives by the border. Um, maybe what I'm doing is, you know, part of the Latina identity. And, you know, I think we don't have to really identify it while we're in the thick of it, as mm. you were saying. But I but thank God for like spaces where we can. Yeah, where we could come together and be like, you know, that's your Latina identity mm -hmm. coming through, you know? And I think that's what's been so helpful meeting so many of us yeah. Latina scholars. I agree. You know, like we get to uh, rejoice with one another, but also affirm that who we are has shaped what we do. You know, uh, so thank you so much for conversing with me on the subject. You know, it's been great talking to you. Same.
The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides these podcasts as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.